You're listening to the weekly podcast of Liberty Baptist Church in Bristol, Connecticut. We pray you enjoy today's message. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 2. We started a study uh, through the book of Mark. We're going to go to this series culminating on Easter Sunday and the resurrection. And then we'll be going into a series on what took place after the resurrection, the Sundays after Easter. Uh, but we're in the book of Mark, and it was written by a man named John Mark. John Mark was the one you read about in Acts, uh, who was the subject of uh, issues between Paul, the first missionary, and Barnabas, the other missionary that would go out. And Paul and Barnabas split over John Mark. Barnabas took John Mark and went with him to do ministry together. God used him greatly. And Paul went on his way and did other things and wrote the New Testament and just a few other small things that God used him for. Uh, But uh, they they were both right, but neither one of them wanted to work with John Mark. But later in life, whatever happened, Uh, apparently it got resolved between Paul and John Mark as he writes positively of him in some later letters. Well, John Mark became a friend of Peter's, and that's where we think a lot of the writing of Mark came from, is from the personal account of Peter. And it was written about 50 to 60 AD, so about 30-some years after Jesus' resurrection there. And it was written to Roman Gentile believers, and it portrays Christ as the suffering servant. If you notice, the book of Mark starts out differently than its partners of synoptic gospels, meaning the same, uh, Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke start with genealogies because they were written to Jews, and genealogy was very important to Jews. Well, Mark was not written to Jews, so it didn't start with the genealogy at all. It starts off with him kind of getting into things. And today, we're going to see an event that took place in the life of Christ that I hope is going to help us to examine our own hearts and how we approach the work God does. You see, there's a song out there, maybe you've heard, called Waymaker. Me and that song have a love-hate relationship. If you don't know me by now, I talk about this anytime we sing it and sometimes when we don't sing it, just so everyone understands how much I hate repetition. If you listen to the song Waymaker on K-Love, the bridge is repeated approximately 17 times, or the word working is. Like, I get it, but grab a thesaurus and get another word, please. Yes, I counted them. One day we sang it here, and, and, and the person who was leading stuff saw me off to the side. I'm counting how many times we're saying it. And he's like, hey, working, working. We got to seven and stopped. Praise God. If not, we'd had a, hard, a conversation after that. But uh, he's working. He's always working. Even when you don't see him, he's working. See, God is working even when we're not a part of it. God's working whether we like it or not. He's working on us. He's working in us. He's working on those around us. How is our hearts towards God when he's working. I believe it's going to be in one of three states. Humbled, humbling, or hopeful. How do we get from humbling and hopeful to humble? Because when we approach God for him to work, we need humble hearts, and we'll see that this morning. Where's your heart at today? How's it been this last week? Was it a tough week? Lots going on, different things happening. God's working. Were you humble towards his work, or were you a little resistant and humbling, trying to humble him into what you thought should be done? Were you hopeful? Like, God, I know you can, but I'm just not sure if you will. So where's your heart at this morning? Let's examine this passage and see our own hearts and how we can go from humbling and hopeful to humble. We're going to start in Mark 2, verses 1 through 5. Follow along with me, please. 
And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. This is a big moment. Something major just happened. But what was happening before Jesus worked? Well, continue where we left off last week. Jesus has healed a man, and he went out in and, and order to uh, go and do what God had called him to do. He's becoming a household name. That's what he was, it was noise that he was there. People got on Facebook and shared selfies like, hey, Jesus is here, and they started tagging it and everything, and they let people know where Jesus was so people could come to him. Many of the religious elite are starting to take notice, like, wait, there's this guy doing what? He claims to be Who? We should go check that out. And so now they've gathered at this house. And this is a house in Capernaum, and it's a packed house. There's no room to get in. And there's these four guys that have a friend on a stretcher. How many of you have ever carried someone on a stretcher? Have you ever done that? They are they're dead weight, right? They are not light. It doesn't matter who they are. It's not easy to do. But there's these four men that have decided to bring their lame friend, and not lame like he's uncool. It, it means that he can't walk. Right, he's got other physical. Some of you laughed at that. That was funnier and should have got a better reaction. Let's work on it, okay? So he carries their their cool friend that's lame. Huh? huh? Come on. And he goes over to see Jesus, but he gets to the, they get to the door and they can't get in. Well, that doesn't stop them. They go to the top of the house, which wasn't you know probably the most difficult thing. A lot of homes back then had stairs you could get around, and they get up to the roof. And the roof is made of probably thatch and leaves and stuff over it that have shingles back then. And they had to begin dismantling the roof. Now, remember the scene here. Jesus is teaching and preaching to a group of people in a home. And they are going above him to start taking the roof apart. Now, y'all, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I hate distractions when I'm preaching. Right? I hate for things to happen. Our, our staff, our AV team, they know. Right? If there's something that goes wrong during the service, uh, barring a fire, like you stay where you are and do not come to the front. Right? We don't want distractions. We want to stay focused in on what's going on. Now imagine right now, I'm standing here preaching, and there's a skylight start opening up. There's going to be stuff falling on my head. There's going to be people looking up, not paying attention or anymore. Like, it's, but what, what is happening right now? Right? Why is pastor changing something else? Right? And so they're standing there talking. Okay. How'd that one get a better laugh than the other one? Wait a minute. I see how it is. All right, all right. So he's there. Changes are taking place. And there's, there's stuff falling on his head. People are distracted. They're looking up. But we don't have any, anything of Jesus stopping his teaching. He's not getting flustered or frustrated. Because I know my first reaction is, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Get down from the roof. Somebody call our insurance company and let them know we didn't authorize that, right? Jesus is there and doesn't get upset and doesn't get anything. He just keeps going. And now they've opened the roof up. These four friends have now got, you know, I think of this. They've had to now rig up some contraption to where they can lower their friend down in front of Jesus. 
So they're on top of this roof, at least a story, if not a story and a half up. They've got it, and they've had to get ropes, and they're probably, you know, letting them down slow and stuff. This is where you know who your real friends are, right? And you got the one who's like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> and so, but they let him down, gets him in front of Jesus, right? And now they've brought him, hearing of how Jesus is healing people, and they want him to be healed. And Jesus sits there, and he doesn't heal them. He says, thy son, thy, thy sins are forgiven. Wow. Wow. That's huge. But I want you to think of those four men. Those are the hearts that we're going to see. These four men that brought their friend to Jesus. Why? Why would they bring this guy to Jesus? They believed. They had faith. They believed in what they had heard about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ, and they brought their friend to him, believing that he could heal him. They had faith, and they were proactive in their faith. They weren't waiting for someone to tell them what to do because they believed. that They heard of Jesus, what he could do, and they believed. Their hearts were humble towards the Lord. And because of their humility, they were proactive. Being proactive requires humility. How many of you question every time the weatherman says something? Why? Because we don't trust him. We don't. We don't have faith in him anymore. It's going to snow. It's not going to snow. Nah. No idea what's going on, right? But when we do choose, we humble ourselves underneath his expertise, and we make adjustments. It, it snowed, what, Friday? snowed Friday. Well, we had to call the plow guy to plow and make sure we were on his list of people to plow. Why? Because it was going to snow. Why, how did we know this? Because the weatherman said so. We, we believed, so we took proactive measures to take care of what was going to take place. See, now Jesus has said a number of things, and we as Christians claim to believe in Jesus. But are we being proactive in our faith? Or do we have to wait for that conviction of the Holy Spirit? You see, when Jonah was called by God to go and preach to Nineveh, he could have been proactive and said, you're God, you've told me to do it, I'm going to go. But instead, he's like, yeah, no, and went off the other direction, got swallowed up by a well, and the rest is history. He wasn't proactive in his faith. In fact, actually, I take that back. Because of his faith, he knew who God was. He actually did respond how he believed. He went away because he knew God would forgive them if they repented. He didn't want them forgiven. Are we proactive in what we believe about God? Like, God, I know you're loving. I know you're just. I know you're full of grace. I know you call me to forgive. I know you call me to be kind. But, but are, are we doing that because of what we believe about Jesus? Or do we have to wait for someone to say, hey, aren't you a Christian? Shouldn't you be? Like, aren't you supposed to? And what do we have to go, yeah, I know, but I don't want to. I don't want to have to be kind. I don't want to have to be loving. I just want to worry about me. I don't want to bring my friend or anyone I know to Jesus because that would take time out of my day. I don't want to have to deal with the things I would have to deal with and the complaints. You know, something we don't hear about is the lame man. I wonder if he believed. I wonder how that conversation was. 
you got to know this guy was lame from birth. I mean, it, it, a long time. How would that conversation be now if you went to someone, hey, I heard about this guy, and he's going to help you walk? What do you think he said? Yeah, right. Or did, and then they had to explain who he was. I'm like, okay, if he's the Messiah, if he's Jesus, I believe he can do it. Now, I know that in the end, he eventually he did believe, because Jesus says, because of thy friend's faith, thou art healed. You know, they, they had this kingdom mindset about them. They brought their friend to Jesus because they believed on Jesus. They didn't gripe and complain about what Jesus was doing, how Jesus was doing it. They just believed in who he was and what he was doing, and they wanted to be a part of it. And they wanted their friend to be blessed by it. So they bring him over to him in faith with humble hearts, submitted to who Jesus is. No pride. There's nothing to gain for themselves. They weren't getting paid to do this. They were humble servants getting their friend to their master. And then notice what they did while Jesus is doing what he does. Nothing. Have you ever tried to get God to work in your life, prayed, and then decided to take things into your own hands? How'd that go? How would it have went if these men were up top going, Jesus, no, 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 you've got to put your hand on his forehead. No, you've got to do it this way. They believed, and because of their belief, Jesus worked. You know, you hear stories. I was praying for God to do this, but then I decided to. <laughs> they believed, they knew God could do this, and they stayed quiet, and they waited on the Lord. They didn't say anything. You ever been told you talk too much? I just, somebody just looked at their mother, and I have a feeling he's been told that. I've been told I talk too much sometimes. Do you know what the Bible says about talking too much, about our tongues? James, he writes this, brother of Christ, half-brother of Christ, says, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. We can be praying to God, we can believe on God, but then we can open our mouths and make it completely contradictory to what we believe. We can change everything by the way we speak. Um, my children are in a phase right now. I'm calling it a phase because I hope it ends one day. They're fighting constantly. Or at least that's how it feels. Siblings, do you still fight like after adulthood? That's okay. Still happens. Thanks. We need more prayer and medication. All right. So, but, but they're fighting constantly. And one of them, a couple of them said something to one the other day that was derogatory and negative. And I said, listen, if you ain't got nothing nice to say. No, I said, shut up. <laughs> I was in the Marine Corps and sometimes it just comes out. All right. We don't need to hear any of that. Hey, if you're praying for God to work in someone's heart, maybe you're not the one that needs to be telling them how to do it. How many older siblings we got in here? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because you're the ones. Got to be mom and dad, like the boss around, right? I'm an only child. I got a whole ton of problems, so don't worry about it. But, us, but those older children, what I'm learning from y'all, y'all love to tell people what to do. We love to tell God what he should be doing. We love to tell others how they should be following God when we're not. 
these men had humble hearts to God, brought their friend in and said, Jesus, only you can do it. Here. See, humble people don't try and take the role of God on themselves. That's something prideful people do. Humble hearts follow by faith. You might not know how God's going to do it, but you believe God's going to do it. Because why? The same reason you trusted the weatherman, because he said so. Now, God's a lot more trustworthy than our weatherman. But do we let him work, or do we try to do the work for him? The heart of those men to bring their friends was humble. But then you have a different group of people that was there. They're known as the scribes. Mark chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 kind of describes Jesus' interaction with them. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. Guys, Jesus didn't even hear what they said. He, he understood in their spirits. He understood what they were reasoning in their hearts. And he responded. The scribes, who were they? They were messengers. They, they were people who carried, uh, who wrote things down and really worked for the Pharisees and Sadducees, sometimes in legal matters, uh, sometimes going out, collecting information, bringing it back. They, they were uh, recorders, if you will, of things that took place. And, and here they're, they're here to observe what's going on with Jesus because they've heard of his name. They saw his hashtag and his tweet and was like, I'm going to go check this out. And, and so they go over to him. They're, they're, they're seeing what's taking place. And he says... Now, remember, these are the religious elite of the day that follow Yahweh God, the one true God, and there is no other gods besides him. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. At that point, he's claiming to deity. He's claiming to be God, to be equal with God. Well, this, this is punishable by death. This is blasphemy, and, and this is something where they could take him out and stone him and would be legally uh, obligated to do so. And they were outraged. It's just as if someone came in here and started mocking Christ, started dressing up and started saying things and making fun of Jesus. We would be outraged. They're, they're mocking our God. That's what was just happened here. And now they're off to the side observing, reasoning within themselves, who is this guy that says he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And he says, well, scribes, pay attention. You, you, I can't really prove to you that I forgave sins, but I can show you I have the power to do so by saying this. And he tells a man that's been lame to get up, take his bed, and walk away. What do you say to that? I mean, you really open foot, insert mouth at that point, right? It reminds me, and it makes me think of how each of us, we should each have a goal in life. Have some goals you're working on. And when you're working, you're working towards that goal, 
you understand that if it's a goal to help you be different than you are now, you can't continue and continue doing the same things you're doing and, and be different. I can't eat pizza every single night and expect to lose 20 pounds because that probably got me to something more than 20 pounds. Right? We, we can't continue doing that same thing. But we won't change how we act unless we change how we feel about the act. Okay? Because all of our actions are derived from our emotions. You think, not me, I'm a very logical thinker. No, no, hold on. Our emotions are derived from our thoughts and how we think of something. If you think that a beautiful sunny day like we have today is awful, you'll close yourself up in your house, feel sad, and, and close your blinds. If you're like most people and think a beautiful day like today is amazing and you like to enjoy it, you feel happy and you go out because of that to enjoy it. So see how your, your thoughts affect your emotions, affects your actions. The scribe's thoughts as it came to Jesus was about, it was negative because of how he had said he was like God and could forgive sins. Their emotions was anger. Who is he that, that says he can do this, that only God can forgive sins? And now their actions they don't get to because Jesus stops them. And what, what does he do? He seeks to change their thinking. He had to change their thinking in order to impact their heart. As believers and followers of Christ, we have to have our minds impacted by God before our hearts can be impacted. Paul said, renew your mind. Renew your mind. This comes from uh, allowing ourselves to be impacted by the word of God. It comes from being impacted by who God is and what God has done and our thoughts of him and our thoughts about him. You see, when the scribes were there and said, who, or reasoned in their own minds, who could say this? Who could forgive sins? Their minds were not renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. They were stuck on the law. They, they began thinking in their own hearts with cynicism and skepticism because they didn't believe in who Jesus was and, and what Jesus had done, would do. They closed their hearts and mind to the possibility of what could be rather than be willing to try the spirits to discover what is. They had humbling hearts. What do I mean by humbling? They sought to humble Jesus. If I come up here and I tell you that I can do something, it would be humbling to me if you ask me to prove it, and I can't. If I tell you I can jump from here and touch that, what? okay, prove it. My wife's going to say no to hurt your back. But if I can't do that, it's humbling to me. It hurts my pride. Well, you can't humble Jesus. He's the most humble. And he can do what he says he did. So when Jesus said that you, I could forgive sins, they wanted to humble him by asking him, who are you to say that you can do that? And we look at this story, think the scribes are idiots. Don't you know who that is? When Jesus calls us to surrender our entire lives to him, to give him everything because of what he will give us, are we any different from the scribes when we hold back and say, yeah, okay, but can you do what you say you'll do? Or are you sure you want me to do it the way you're saying to do it? Are we trying to humble him and take away the power and authority that he should have in our lives? The scribes were trying to get him to be someone he wasn't. 
When we look to God and we question him and his authority, his power, and his capability, we do the same. Because humbling hearts will fight without faith. If you don't have faith in who God is and what God can do, you'll fight against who he is and what he can do. When God has called you to do something and you push back against it because you don't believe it's what you should be doing, you don't have a humble heart towards the Lord. We seek to humble him by saying, God, you're, you're not right. I remember my call to ministry. Think of Paul's call to ministry. He had murdered people. And he would push back, God, I, I did this, I did that. But eventually he ends up being the place that we're all going to be one day. And we'll see that at the end of the passage. Let me keep going here. Mark chapter 2, verse 12. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. So it's pretty simple to explain. Jesus had forgiven his sins. He healed him. He gets up. He walks away. And the whole crowd is saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, the word all here, it seems to be in the King James and all of the translations that I looked at to really be encompassing of all, not just the four men that brought the friend, not just the scribes, uh, but also everyone that was gathered around there. You see, I guess when a, a lame man gets up and walks, it changes your attitude about who a person is. But I want you to see their journeys to get to this place, to all be glorifying God. You have the four friends. They believed from the beginning. They were humble towards the Lord. You have the scribes that were humbling, trying to seek to bring God down, bring Jesus down to a place he wasn't. And then lastly, uh, you, you have these people, the people that were standing around, uncertain, but hopeful something would take place. And they all end up in the same place you and I will end up one day, glorifying God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God has also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, that's the purpose we were created for. That's why we live our lives as believers. Revelations 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. For the pleasure of God, for the glory of God, we exist because of Him, we exist by Him, and we exist for Him. We have to choose how our hearts are going to be towards Him and this truth. Because God is working whether you see it or not. I'm a person that loves personal growth. I love coaching people. I love seeing them take steps of growth, steps of faith. It's one of the reasons our, our foundational uh, structure here is called the next steps seminars and things like that. What's your next step of faith to be uh, closer to God and to grow in your faith in him? It's something that brings me overwhelming joy when I hear stories from life group. It says, I was challenged because of this life group to get to know my neighbors that I've not known for the years I've lived here. I've been challenged to do kind acts and things of that nature because of what God's been doing in my heart through the word. I love hearing people take steps of faith and stepping up into ministry positions of serving and, and taking on different roles. I love every bit of it. But let me ask you a question. Are you growing are you taking steps of faith? If you looked at yourself six months ago, one week ago, 10 years ago, whatever timeline you want, are you growing closer to God or are you not? A lot, how you're growing and if you're growing can be seen by your heart towards the work God wants to do in your life. 
If we have a humble heart towards the Lord, we put ourselves on our knees before him and we say, God, I am the clay, thou art the potter, mold me and make me as you see fit. But as the scribes sit back and say, well, God, I I see your design plan here. No. Let's do something different. Or we have the heart of those that are standing around saying, God, I I, want to believe. I'm hopeful. I I, I, I I think you can. I'm not sure. The process of growth can be challenging. Maybe you're a person that's working at becoming more patient. Pray for it. Everyone who's ever prayed for patience is shaking their head no. Maybe you're someone who's working on anger, forgiveness, loving kindness, obedience. God's working in your life, but how, are you, how is your heart towards what he's trying to do? Our hearts, our hearts towards God determine how hard it is to grow. Because growing's inevitable. You know why? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You're, you're being worked on right now. You're being worked on until the Lord returns. How do I know that? Because he said so. So whether you like it or not, God has a plan for growth for you. You see, God was going, uh, Jesus was going to heal that man whether the scribes liked it or not. Jesus was going to heal that man whether the people around thought he could or didn't. But of the three different types of people that were there, it's my heart that you and I can be those four men who are humble enough to say, I believe in God, I know he can, and because he can, I will do whatever he has called me to do. Humbly serving. But maybe you're here today. And your faith isn't there yet. Maybe you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Maybe you're in that third group. You have a hopeful heart. See, hopeful hearts seek faith. The world seeks truth. They're hopeful. There's something out there. Few are the people I've ever talked to that were excited about the idea that this is all for nothing. There's something there. There is. His name is Jesus. You're there here this morning. You're hopeful that there's something to this thing called Christianity. You just need to see some proof. I'm not the only one here today, but I'm the one with the microphone, so I can tell you I'm that proof. Ten years away from God, blaspheming his name and drugs and alcohol and everything that's involved with it. And then God called me to ministry to pastor a church in Bristol, Connecticut when he's from Northeast Tennessee. Trust me, there were some times, God, are you sure? There's other testimonies around here just like that. There's testimonies here of God keeping them from things. They've stayed faithful their entire lives. Testimonies of people that got saved later in life because of God's mercy and kindness. There's proof all around you. But are we as believers sharing that proof? Are we humble to the Lord when it comes to our purpose here, to bring him glory, to tell people about him? 
God's doing a work in you. I don't know what it is right now, but you do. How have you been responding to it? Are you like those four men and you've been humble? You're more like the scribes and you're trying to question God and what he's capable of. Or do you sit here today just hopeful, hoping there's something to this? Whichever you are, the answer is the same to all of them. Have faith. Trust in Jesus. And he will work because he said he would. Would you bow your heads with me, please? At the end of every message, we have what's known as a time of response. This is your opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit of God. What I preach today, God's working, and he's working in your heart. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart, how you've been responding to his work? Maybe you need to confess that you've been pushing back like a scribe. Maybe you need to confess that you just, you kind of thought he could, but you weren't sure, you were just hopeful. And you need to approach the Lord with a humble heart, saying, God, I know you can. I don't know how, but I know you will. And God, I'm going to give this over to you. Whatever it is that God's been working your heart on. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've never said, I believe in Jesus as my only hope for heaven. You've, you've never understood that Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. No one's ever told you that Jesus told a scribe, a Pharisee, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but has everlasting life. Maybe you're here this morning and you thought baptism or money or attendance or something like that saved you. And you didn't know that in Romans chapter 10, Paul wrote and said that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. My friend, I don't know what you've been hoping for, but I know the greatest hope ever fulfilled in your life is Jesus. And it all starts with faith. If you're here this morning, you'd like to trust Jesus as your Savior. You can do so in your chair. You can call out to him, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is your son and died on the cross for my sins. Would you come into my life and change me from the inside out? Christians this morning, whatever God's been working your heart on, would you humbly just give it to him now? Stop fighting, stop questioning. He's going to take care of it in his time and in his way. Would you just give it to him? If you're like me, you're trying to work at it. You're trying to make it better. Hey, he'll do a much better job than you will. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.